Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. Um, We have been working our way through the New Testament, um, and we are actually at the very last book. I can't believe it. And so this has been a two-year project um, to do a podcast for every single biblical book. Um, But I really just wanted to build a library for um, a lot of the new believers or young believers who you know, when they go to open the Bible, they are just so confused as to where they're at in it, what's going on in the place where they open to. Um, And I wanted to kind of provide a library so that um, there was a place for people to go and go, all right, well, I opened to the book of Matthew. Let me listen to the Matthew podcast, and then I'll know what this book is all about. Or, you know what, I just opened to Leviticus. Or I'm at Leviticus in my reading through plan for the year. Oh, I need to understand what I'm reading because this is looking really interesting. You know, there's a podcast for Leviticus. Go back and, and pull out that one and um, explore and see what you find. Um, the aim of these is basically it's a discipleship library. Um, and so the heart of this is the, if there's holes in your own life, this is a place to come, but it's also beyond that. So in other words, if you have a younger believer in your world or a child that you're raising or, um, you know, that there's somebody who looks up to you who has a lot of questions, these are great things to sit down one-on-one, listen to. These can even be used in a Sunday school class or a small group setting um, where you listen to a podcast and then just discuss the questions and discuss um what was included in the podcast. Um, But this is a way of just uh, providing some resources. Um, We live in a day and an age where we don't really talk about how we got the Bible or why we can trust it or how God has preserved it over the years. And so all the way back to two and a half years ago now, there is a whole series on why we can trust the Word of God. Um, And so our heart at this podcast and uh, with Faith Foundations is to really um, encourage the body of Christ to to rediscover uh, the amazingness of God's word, the... um, the verses that talk about taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, Your words were found and I ate them and they became for me a joy. Um, That one's out of Jeremiah. Uh, All right, so we are at the last book. We are at the book of Revelation. Now, I will be honest with you. I am going to include myself in this. I will often say revelations and it is not plural. (laughs) It was one revelation that was given to John. And so let's go ahead and start off with our who, what, when, where, all of that kind of fun stuff. Um, The who of this book is John, the Apostle John. And at this point in his life, he is one of the remaining disciples uh, turned apostles. Um, He is... This was written in about 96 AD while he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. All right, so this is the John that at the foot of the cross, Jesus looks at him and says, Behold thy son to Mary. Um, and so basically he he gives Mary, his mother, his earthly mom, to John the Baptist. Or not John the Baptist. Oh, my word. It's one of those mornings, folks. <laughs> 
Apostle John. Um, so anyway, um, but he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And so he uh, is actually responsible for several books in the old, the New Testament. Sorry. Um, he is responsible for the Gospel of John, which he wrote in about 64 AD. Um, he is also responsible for 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which he wrote about the same time that he wrote Revelation. Uh, and there is a beautiful symmetry um, between, symmetry might not be the right word, there is a beautiful cohesion between the book of uh, the gospel of John and the three letters of John. Um, and so it's beautiful. And then when you look at Revelation on top of that yet, um, you can just really see the consistency of who he was as a person. Okay, so like I said, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the last living apostle at this point in time. Um, in 65, when he wrote the Gospel of John, he basically had been asked by the church to write uh, an account, an eyewitness account of the life of Christ that um, covered anything that he felt the other ones didn't cover maybe, or, you know, just basically like, look at these other three and then will you write one for us, um, is kind of what they think happened. Um, and so uh, with that, you have beautiful stories and, and events uh, from the life of Christ that weren't in any of the others. And one of the things he said is, listen, if we were to write down every single thing that Jesus said or did, there are not a, enough books to contain the whole. Um, and so the idea is that as Jesus did life, every second was filled with something. Um, and so John very much in his gospel, it was written a little bit later than the others. And the whole point of his was... Um, was basically to just kind of fill in some of the gaps, but to also present the heart that he felt, um, that the his point of view, um, according to how God moved in him. Um, and so what we have to understand is that God moved in all of these writers, including John, to pen the message that he had for the church. Um, and so if John would have felt that uh, God was very clear that the other three gospels covered all of it, he most likely would not have written another gospel. Um, and so, you know, that very much would have been kind of their thinking in the day is that if God told them to, to write, they would. All right, so moving on here, um, we've got, let's see, I have covered the what or the who. So we are to the what. Re Revelation is actually a letter to seven churches. And we'll get into that in the first four chapters um, a little bit. Uh, and then uh, the where is from the Isle of Patmos. Um, and the thing you need to know about the Isle of Patmos is that basically it's this big rock. Um, there's no vegetation on it, and the, really there's no shelter. So the only shelter that he would have had would have been um, basically a cave that would have been there. But um, it, basically this was manual labor. It would have been mining, um, chopping up rocks, you know, sledgehammer, that kind of stuff. This would have been physically very grueling. You know, it, it the way this island was situated, even escape was impossible. So it was just naturally a very good prison island. <laughs> so, um, any case, um, uh, and so the conditions were very, very harsh. This is where John's at when the vision comes to him from the Lord. 
All right, so let's keep going here. Um, from the Isle of Patmos, this was written somewhere between 90 AD and 96. Um, I actually have another source that said 96 is pretty confirmed. I'm not sure what they used to confirm that, but we'll let them have kind of a little bit of a gap, time gap on that. Anyway, um, the reason why was to give hope to the persecuted Christians and provide a vision of Christ's return. Um, What I want you to understand is that as people are going through a really, really hard time, you need hope in order to really shore up your endurance. Um, And so you have to have something to motivate, to think about, to, you know, all of that. And, um, you know, they were going through horrible, horrible experiences. Peter was gone by this point. Uh, uh, Paul had been martyred by this point. They had been martyred by Nero. Nero was crazy. Um, And after Nero came other uh, emperors that were just as bad with the persecution of Christians. Um, And so there was a whole series of them. And so the early church was going through intense, profound persecution. So much so that the Romans at the time, the the Gentiles, would look at them and pity them because they knew that it wasn't because they were doing anything wrong. It was purely because somebody was either enjoying it or somebody's ego needed to do it. Um, and so you know, we know that from um, contemporary sources at the time that aren't uh, Bible-based. Um, they're actually secular sources at the time. So um, we've been able to kind of culturally cross, uh, affirm some details. Okay, so we know the why of this. Um, they, one of my sources said that Revelations 21.1 is a key verse. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Um, and they chose that as their key verse. That would not be my choice of key verse, um, because I think there's one that does a far better job. And I would put that at chapter 1, verse 19. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, which is the past, the things which are, which is now, and the things which will take place after these things, which is future things. Um, And right there is the outline for the entire book. Um, You have the things that are seen, which are going on right now. You have things um, from the past. Sorry, that was the first thing. Things that are in the past, things which are now, and then things that will come in the future. The things which are now are the seven churches, and those are the first four chapters are covered in those. And then chapters five through the rest of Revelation is the stuff that will come and will take place in the future. Um, One of the things I will endeavor to do for you guys today is the things that Scripture is clear about, I will try to be clear about. The things that they're not clear about, I will explain why they're not so clear. Um, And we'll kind of talk through those a little bit. So I'm going to try to give you a very um, scripturally based understanding of the book of Revelation. Okay, now for the big picture outline for the book of Revelation. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you a couple different outlines probably, but um, most sources agree that chapters 1 through 4 are kind of a standalone section. You can add in chapter 5. 
But basically, chapters 1 through 4 are the letters separate to the seven churches. Chapters 5 through 16 are visions that are given. Um, and there's, I'm pretty sure there's four consecutive visions that are given that are not necessarily chronologically ordered. So you can't read Revelation like it is itself written in chronological order. Okay, and I think that's important to know because the visions kind of bounce around on the timeline. Um, and so Paul, or sorry, John is taken to see specific different things that are on the timeline of Revelation. Um, and so I think it's helpful to know that even at the start. Um, chapter 17 through 20, it's called God's Triumph. Um, and then 21 and 22 is a new creation. Um, and so that is that outline actually comes from the Rose Book of Bible Charts, Maps, and Timelines. I've used most of their um, introductory or summary uh, who, what, when, where's for most of this series. Um, but occasionally I do like to kind of go in and um, challenge just a couple of things here and there. Um, because sometimes, for example, in the book of Revelation, I have a verse I like better as the key verse. Um, and I, I like it because it gives the outline for the entire book. Um, and so I actually go with an outline that comes out of Revelation itself. Um, so Revelation chapter 1, that verse 19. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, which is the past, the things which are now, um, which is the seven churches, and then the things which will take place in the future. And so what I would do with this is I would say that chapter 1 is kind of your introduction to everything, um, how he receives the charge to record Revelation. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 are the now section of this verse, um, which it goes through the letters to Ephesus, Smyrga, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and then chapter 3 is the letters to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Um, and then chapter 4 is the beginning of the rest of the future. Um, and so the last section of this is, and the things which will take place after these things. So after the things which are now. So everything after the letters is... In verse 19, it is future things that will take place. Okay, so I like that for the guiding structure for the book of Revelation. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of stick with that for right now. Um, as I go through these, I, I haven't, we'll see what I actually get to. But I do want to, for the rest of today, I want to take a closer look at the, the seven churches. And so we're going to look at the now section of the book of Revelation. All right. I'm actually going to start by reading Revelations chapter 1. Um, one little fact I want to throw in here is that 70% uh, of the book of Revelations is actually references the Old Testament. So kick that around. 70% <laughs> of this references Old Testament. All right, so sometimes there's direct quotes, sometimes there's, you know, um, fulfillment of prophecy mentioned, all kinds of things. So, all right, so let's go ahead and kick in here, and we'll just pick up. I want to read for sure the first couple chapters, but we'll take it slow. So let's look at chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. 
He sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. All right, now, the the fun thing with this is I've just finished up a two-year uh, Bible study in Revelation with Precepts Ministries, and I, I would highly encourage that to anybody. Um, you know, our entire group admitted that we all went into this, like, dreading it, feeling like it was going to be way over our heads, wondering how we were ever going to make it through. Um, And every single one of us have felt so blessed by actually spending time in this book for two years. Um, And it's lost some of its dread for us, uh, which is really kind of fascinating. And so we're not scared by the imagery anymore because we understand it, because we've, we've looked at it, we've studied it. Um, And the thing I love about a precept study is that it truly has you start with the Word of God and with your observation skills. What do you actually see in the text? Um, And it starts there. Rather than starting with a description or a figurative explanation that somebody gives you, you start with what the text actually says. Um, And she does it in such a way that she helps you piece together a timeline for the book of Revelation. And that will be one of the things I do share in this is the timeline that comes directly from the scripture in Revelation. Um, And the one thing I will tell you is after studying it like this, you can tell who has not actually studied Revelation well, because they will have things all out of whack. (laughs) Um, And so it's really interesting because once you're in something enough, you can discern when it's being misused. Um, And so that has been rather fascinating for me. Like a lot of the little posts that are happening about um, the Euphrates draining dry. Well, that doesn't happen until we're several, several ways into, um, sorry, several key sections into the book of Revelation. Um, And so for it to be happening now, eh, is that a sign of end time prophecy? It's not a fulfillment of Revelation yet. It will happen again or, you know, at some point, but it's we're at the wrong point in the timeline for that to be Bible prophecy fulfilled out of Revelation just yet. Um, And so when you study the timeline, you can recognize stuff like that. Um, It's definitely a hint of what's coming. Um, If you're watching the news at all, you should know that we are on the precipice of watching the book of Revelations in fulfillment in front of our very eyes. Um, And so hopefully, um, if you're not aware of that, you're understanding that time is running out for you to make a decision on what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Um, And your family, your friends, those that are lost around you are running out of time to make a decision on what they're going to do with Jesus. And if you get Jesus wrong, you get eternity wrong. We've talked about that from the very beginning, that everything hinges on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So back to Revelations 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is Jesus's revelation, um, which God had given him to show all of his bondservants. Who's, who's the bondservants? We are the followers of Christ. We are his bondservants. What does it include, this revelation? Things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So he sent, so who sent? Jesus sent and communicated this by his angel. Okay, so the angel belongs to Jesus as well. To his bondservant, John. So John's identifying himself as Jesus' bondservant. 
Um, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in other words, he's an eyewitness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, even um, to all that he saw. So he's also testifying to everything that he saw um, in this vision. Okay. And then verse three is one of two places in the book of Revelation where we are promised blessing. And there is one book in all of the New Testament that promises that if you read it, you will be blessed. And that is the book of Revelation. So you can put a mark beside um, verse 3 of uh, chapter 1, and it says, Blessed is he who reads and who hear the words or understand or receive the words of prophecy and heed or apply the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Okay, verse 4 starts the message to the seven churches, okay? So very important that you understand that we went back, I'm sorry, when I say we, I mean non-biblical writers went back and added chapters and verses, okay, that would not have been there when John was writing this, okay? So when John wrote, this would have been in a scroll form, and he would have started in one spot and kind of wrote his way through. He would have separated thoughts, but there literally was no, um, there were no spaces between words. There was no punctuation between sentences. There were, there was nothing. It was just constant, um, flow and stream of letters. So that's important to know. We've added that stuff back in so that we can find places in scripture. Um, it's something that was added later in life. Okay. Or in history. How about that? That sounds better. All right, so picking up in verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, I'm going to do this. There are a couple key characters, so to speak, that you need to understand. There is the Lord God Almighty who has reigned from everlasting to everlasting. He is the figure on the throne, okay? You have Jesus Christ who is pictured as the lamb slain, as um, the, the yeah, there's a lot of images for Christ here. Um, but it is, it, this is something I would highly suggest, that you go through and you list the descriptions that are made of Jesus Christ. Because this is one area that we are incredibly weak at the body of Christ, is that most times we see Jesus either as the itty-bitty helpless baby in a manger, Or we see him as the man who walked around earth and did a lot of things, like healed people and made food multiply and, you know, and was really kind to broken and hurting people. We do not often see him as he is in Revelation. And it's not that he's different. It's that Revelation highlights or puts a focus on 
characteristics that he has, even in human form uh, on earth, but they are highlighted because of what is going to happen. Um, Okay, so in this section, for example, this whole thing is about Jesus Christ in the next couple verses. Um, He is called the faithful witness. He's called the firstborn of the dead in verse 5. He's called the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the one who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Um, He's the one who made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Keep in mind, he is prophet, priest, and king. Um, And so John is showing us that he is all of those. And so here as the high priest, he's made us priests to God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. So we know he's coming back and that he will be seen by everyone, even those who pierced him. All of the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Now, those who pierced him, that references to the Jews, um, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. That is the nations, okay? There's, um, there's God's people, the church, there are the nation of Israel is present in Revelation very clearly and distinctly, and there are um, earth dwellers, okay, and then there are the nations of the world, okay, key figures throughout Revelation, and it's really helpful to know that they're consistently referred to. Okay, earth dwellers are people that follow the beast, that take the mark, that are non-believers. Okay, the church are the ones that are faithful, that follow. In verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. And I want you to notice with this is that we have that three parts too. We have who is, who was, and who is to come. So we have what's past, we have what is now, and we have that future peace. You're going to see that a lot in Revelation um, on repeat. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John tells us exactly where he's at. He tells us that he's writing this from the island of Patmos. He tells us that he is there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So this is part of the persecution. Um, He's telling the church at the time that he is a partaker in their tribulation. He's a partaker of the kingdom and partaker in the perseverance which is found in Christ. Um, Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like the sound of a trumpet. Now, I want you to understand, we know exactly where he is, right? He's on the Lord's day, and he is in the Spirit. He's worshiping. He's connecting with the Spirit inside of him, saying, write a book. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, the thing I want to point out about these cities right here is that they were very specifically on a mail route. Um, And so this is a letter. It would have been sent in the mail. Um, And so it's on a very, very clear strategic mail route throughout Asia Minor. 
And so basically this, this would hit the entire church by hitting these major cities. Um, and what the church was used to doing at this point is whenever they got a writing or a scripture, um, something that they felt God was divinely obviously writing, or it was from an apostle, um, in the word of God, it was the word of God, they would copy it and pass it on. And so you had a lot of diligent, diligent, diligent um, copying of letters, especially ones coming from apostles, um, happening during this time. Um, those letters would have would have been circulating throughout the churches. Um, there were actually a, a circulation happening in Asia Minor, and then there was another circulation down towards Alexandria that was kind of happening. Um, and what's happened in um, modern times is that we've been able to compare we can tell which which circle the letters would have been translated and passed around in. We can compare both copies to each other, and we know that they were, like, they lined up perfectly. So we know that the church was incredibly careful um, in copying their texts. Um, now, with New Testament, we have 65 thousand plus manuscript portions because we're finding them all the time. Okay. Cause one of the things the church did is that they copied scripture and they made lots of copies of scripture. Um, and then the other thing that we have that we know is that our oldest actual manuscript fragments are within 25 years of the original autographs in some places. So we know that we have very, very, very accurate documents <laughs> with this. I mean, the the just to research, I would encourage you to go back to the podcast that we did about this and just kind of look at the evidence. The evidence is absolutely astounding. Um, and so, you know, I would just highly encourage you to recognize that the Word of God these people recognized that it was God's word and they were careful, meticulously careful. But the other thing is God preserves his word. And so you can see evidence of that very profoundly and very clearly. So I'm going to just real quickly summarize the rest of the chapter and we're going to end for today. The rest of the chapter, chapters 12, verse 12 through 18 is a description of Christ. Um, this wor- is worth drawing. Um, this is worth sitting down and making a list. It's an incredible vision of Jesus. Basically, 19 is the key verse that we've kind of gone over today. Uh, So let me read 20 and we'll end for today. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels to the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, so next podcast, we are going to pick up and run with the seven churches, um, and we will be talking about the message to each of the churches. We will be talking about um, what they are commendated for, um, praised for, what they're um, charged with, what they're um, chewed out for, all of those kinds of things. So uh, that's all I have for today, and I'll see you next podcast. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com.
is a time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps. Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit, everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. <laughs>